What's going on, everyone? It's Wednesday, April 13th. You're listening to The Hustle Daily Show. I'm Zachary Crockett. I'm here with Juliet Bennett-Ryla. Hey. And we've got Steph Smith back on the show. Hey, guys. So today we're talking about Meta, aka Facebook. The company has made a big push into virtual reality and virtual worlds, and it just announced that it's going to now allow creators to start selling stuff in the metaverse. Lots of big buzzwords in there, and we're going to break it all down for you. But first, let's do a quick rundown of the news. First up, inflation is still inflating. The Bureau of Labor Statistics Consumer Price Index rose 8.5% year over year. That's the highest jump we've seen since December 1981. And just to drive home how long ago that was, the top song on the chart was Olivia Newton-John's Physical. The big movie at the box office was Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's a new shortage on the block. Stores across the U.S. have started to ration baby formula. It's partly the result of a huge manufacturer recall that happened a few months ago. According to the grocery analytics firm DataAssembly, as much as 30% of popular baby formula brands could soon be sold out nationwide. Lululemon is buying used workout clothes. The athleisure company launched a resale campaign last year, and now it's expanding that effort to all of its 394 retail stores and its online shopping portal. Starting April 22nd, you can exchange your used stuff for e-gift cards. The retailer will offer anywhere from $5 to $25, depending on what you've got. Not a great return on investment, considering that pair of new tights is like $100. But uh, hey, it's um, well, it's better than nothing. <laughs> All right, let's get to business. Zuck has been building out Meta's virtual world, and now he's pushing for it to really be more of a monetized creator economy. Juliet, let's take a step back here. This all really started last year, right? Yeah, so Facebook is all about the metaverse now. It rebranded to Meta. It's going hard on virtual reality. The metaverse we're talking about here is called Horizon Worlds. It's like a virtual world. You can access it via Oculus. You can go there for free. Uh, it's kind of like a video game. You just hang out with your little legless avatar <laughs> in there and go to different worlds, um, assuming that you are over 18, supposedly, although the last time I went there, there was definitely a lot of children in there. So in February 2022, Meta stated that Horizon Worlds and Horizon Venues, that was kind of like the less exciting version where there's just like set rooms that you can go to. Okay. Combined, they had a total monthly user base of 300,000 people and that 10,000 separate worlds had been built in Horizon Worlds to date. I could only go to Horizon Venues because I have a Quest 1 and Horizon Worlds would not open on my Quest. Horizon Venues is just a bunch of rooms that you can go in and maybe you can watch something. You can interact with other people. Horizon Worlds is a much more vast place. People can build worlds in there. So it's kind of like Roblox or, or really any other place where you have user-generated content where people can make stuff and then you can go and do or experience the things that people make. And with this announcement that creators can start selling things in this metaverse, what kind of things are we talking here? So it could be virtual stuff, like, you know, if somebody says, oh, I've got an outfit that your avatar can wear, you can buy that. And it could also be access to events, uh, like a meditation course or a game, or maybe it could be access to a world that someone creates, like a VIP area or something that you can only mm. get to if you pay a fee to this creator. And, and like you said, this isn't like a totally new thing. I mean, there are tons of virtual worlds that are monetized out there. There's Decentraland, where you can buy virtual plots of land. There's Axie Infinity. People have dropped absurd amounts of money on digital assets in, in recent months. Someone paid $450,000 for a plot of land next to Snoop Dogg in a virtual world. 
In another transaction, Tokens.com bought an, an entire virtual street for $2.4 million. So this is not like, this is just like Facebook's version of something that already exists pretty widely at this point. Yeah, it's essentially Facebook's metaverse, though there are other metaverses out there like Decentraland. The original metaverse was Neopets, wasn't it? I mean, a lot of the same digital assets were sold back then. You could buy a paintbrush to edit your Neopet. You could buy land. You could get special features to upgrade in a particular game. I know we didn't access it through the lens of an Oculus, but this has been Mm -hmm. going on for literally decades. Right, right. And Steph, like... You have spent a lot of time in the past several months building your own creator economy inside HubSpot. We're launching a creator network. What are some of the challenges that you've seen with building a creator economy from scratch? And and what kind of challenges do you think a platform like Meta might encounter in trying to replicate this? Yeah, so I think the major headwind that they're going to face is just the number of people engaging in this space so far. I know they're trying to build that up, but if we even compare some of the numbers that Juliet mentioned... 300,000 people sounds like a lot, but when you compare it to Facebook's monthly active users, which are closing in on 3 billion, that is less than 1%, or actually, I think pretty significantly less than 1% of these other platforms that exist that have just this stream of traffic coming through of people who are engaged in different types of media. Hmm. And so what do creators really want? Well, they want to create great content, but they also need consumers of their content. And so I think that's the major thing that Facebook is going to struggle with is They're going to build up these wonderful metaverses or places or malls that people can hang out in in the digital world, but they need to replicate the other side of the marketplace, which is people engaging in those spaces. Hmm. And I think it's going to be very transient for a long time. I mean, marketplaces face this issue all the time where they build up supply and they don't have the demand. And therefore, the people who come through the system when there's not enough demand end up churning because it's a really bad experience. I'm trying to think of like how I would explain this to my mom um, or like someone who doesn't understand really what the metaverse is like inside of Horizon Worlds, people are teaching meditation classes or they're doing business seminars or whatever they want to create inside of these virtual worlds. How is that markedly different than just, you know, doing a virtual meditation class over Zoom or something, right? I don't think it is for the most part. We're in an inflection point where Facebook or other platforms that are invested in this more AR or VR metaverse are going to have to figure out how do we create products or content that does differentiate because of the access through more of our senses, right? Like I know you guys have talked Mm -hmm. about different companies using scent or in AR, VR, you have more of a 3D exposure to the content. But if you're just doing meditation in an app, I don't know if you're actually leveraging some of these new features as much Mm -hmm. and In reality, you're just listening to the meditation the same way you'd be listening through an AirPod. Right. Yeah, there's some talk about it being more immersive and you having more agency. So let's say you're in a world and you decide, I want to go over there. Well, you can just go over there. You know, you don't necessarily have to like (laughs) sit through something you don't want to sit through. You just leave. You go bounce around to something else. And I've seen this kind of work pretty well. I once joined a friend for a virtual, it was like a VR Burning Man. And like Burning Man is probably not a place I would go in real life, but it was kind of cool in VR because it was like, oh, you made an art thing. I'm going to go look at your art thing. Oh, you made a song. I'm going to go look at that. And like, Hmm. I had a lot of agency to just move around and do whatever I wanted. But at the same time, like you could just close your computer and leave the Zoom meditation as well. I think they're really going to have to build like a place that feels immersive. Like I have to be in 360. I have to be hearing spatial audio. Like I think that's the key. 
Yeah, it, I think it's also going to be interesting how this kind of redefines what has utility as a good or a service. Like there are certain like goods and services in the real world that just won't have utility in a virtual world, right? Like I could see maybe the value of attending a course or an event in a virtual world, but it's like buying a hot dog in a virtual world isn't going to do anything for you. So I'm just like wondering what the types of purchases that are going to be made in these worlds are like, are they like new skins for avatars or like, I don't know, maybe I'm just not thinking about this very creatively. (laughs) There may be an application in gaming. People already buy skins for their game characters, even if they have no traits at all. It's just what they look like. And people do and could buy items for games. It's like this sword gives you plus whatever. Mm. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's been interesting for me to wrap my head around this idea of digital assets because they are not the same as the physical assets in real life, yet people still are willing to buy digital real estate or they still are willing to buy digital art, even though, again, it's not quite the same. But one thing that I find interesting is the idea that digital assets are infinitely replicable, but companies are finding ways to induce almost like fake scarcity. So we see this a lot with NFTs, but I find this fascinating when it comes to digital real estate, because within these worlds, you hypothetically could just expand this digital universe infinitely, right? But these Hmm. designers of these virtual worlds are going to have to play that game and figure out exactly (laughs) how much real estate to build over a certain Mm -hmm. period of time. I mean, one example of this was in the NFT space. Dapper Labs created NBA Top Shots, and it was one of the most popular lines of NFTs. But then they wanted to capitalize on this, and they launched a ton of them. And that just completely tanked the price of those Top Shots because they didn't properly consider the importance (laughs) of scarcity, even though it's false in this ecosystem for their particular line. So what you're saying is when De Beers makes its Horizon Worlds debut, it's going to artificially make its diamonds scarce in the virtual world probably too. Exactly. (laughs) So it seems like finding out some mechanism to make goods scarce is going to be critical to the metaverse economy having staying power in the future. Are there any other elements that you think will go into making this sustainable for creators? And like, what can they do to continue building this community? I mean, one aspect is just ensuring that they have enough creators on these platforms. So as I mentioned, AR and VR or building within the Oculus ecosystem is really, really early. And so I don't know the exact numbers, but I'd estimate probably in the thousands of people are creating on these platforms. If you were to compare that to the number of creators on a YouTube or who are creating podcasts, or who are writing newsletters, it is just so different in terms of scale. And so it's going to be interesting to see how well Facebook is really able to build that ecosystem to something sizable, because another consideration here is, again, the size of Facebook or Meta. Facebook makes over $100 billion a year in revenue through its existing platform. Hmm. And for them to really build an ecosystem that is sizable in terms of their scale, they're really far away from that. Facebook's also just like not really cool anymore. <laughs> like I, I, I don't, I haven't seen like any demographic data on, you know, the metaverse or more broadly the NFT community, but I imagine like younger demographics might be a little hesitant to join something that's associated with Facebook when they're on newer, more relevant platforms now. I think the metaverse is going to be all about experiences Hmm. at the end of the day. I think you're going to be hard pressed to convince people who aren't already the type of people who buy virtual objects to get into that. Yeah, there are people who have jumped on NFTs thinking like, if I buy this NFT, I'm going to make a lot of money in the future. But I think where we're going to see the most expansion is things that you can do from the comfort of your own home 
albeit with maybe a headset strapped to your face, that engage you for an hour or two, whether it's, yeah, a meditation class or some kind of game or a play or an artistic experience, and then selling tickets to those things. That's where I see people actually getting excited about the metaverse and being right. like, oh, yeah, I'll buy an Oculus because I want to go do all of these things versus like buying a virtual I'm, hot dog. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to go to the metaverse and buy a house that I live in online. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense to me. Juliet, like I know you haven't spent time in Facebook Horizons, but like you said, you've spent time in the Horizon venues, right? Mm-hmm. Like who's who's in there? Like who are you seeing in there? Just annoying people and children. Like, I don't know. I haven't really enjoyed any time that I've spent in more of these open world platforms because it is just people looking to screw around. You know, they look like a banana. They have no accountability in their minds, so they can just run around screaming. <laughs> I have kind of enjoyed VR experiences that are a little more um, curated, where it's like, mm. you know, buy a ticket to this experience or watch this thing in VR. You know, those have kind of been fun. But yeah, for me, I don't want to be in a VR room with random people any more than I want to like do an escape room with 60 <laughs> random people and 12 children. Like what's an example of something you have purchased in the metaverse? I went to Sundance in VR. Oh, really? That's cool. And I went and did a bunch of their experiences. So I went to a VR show called Welcome to Respite, and it was entirely in VR. There were live actors in it, but obviously I could only see them as their avatars. Hmm. It's actually been winning quite a few awards. Like it was at Tribeca, and it was really good. Like it was a good play. And if I had went to that play in real life, I'm sure I would have enjoyed it there, but I couldn't go in real life because it was the pandemic. Hmm. And it is now playing in Los Angeles, but I would rather do it again in VR than be on a bus for like two hours to go see it on the other side of town. So I would repeat that experience. Hmm. I think the key here is that people talk about the metaverse like you're going to want to replace the existing physical world with this metaverse experience. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you don't want to be surrounded by people all day long. In the physical world, you probably won't want that equivalent in the metaverse. Instead, what do you do in the physical world? You go watch a show, you go mm -hmm. hang out with friends and go rollerblading. You go do very specific things with your friends to experience them. And I think the same thing will be true, as Juliet said, in the metaverse. Like You go to experience a very specific thing. You Maybe you mm -hmm. pay for that thing. But I don't know if we're going to replicate, at least in the near term, what we have in the physical world, which is our homes and food and, sure. I don't know, just more of the nuance that we experience in everyday life. Sure. Yeah, the way I see people using it is I'm going to go to a virtual space with my existing friends and hang out with them there, or I'm going to go to something that I'm interested in, kind of like if you went to a board game meetup because you knew you were going to meet people there who wanted to play board games with you, kind of like how people right now might go into a server and play an online game that they really like with other people they know like that game. That's what I'm mm. seeing people doing. And then people who are just wandering into random worlds, it's kind of just like, they don't stay put. They tend to blink in and out and run all around. Sure. Well, speaking of the real physical world, uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on here before we leave is this weekend, a Kmart in New Jersey is going to close down its doors for good. And this might not seem like a big deal, but it's one of only four Kmarts left in the entire continental United States. Kmart goes all the way back, uh, you know, it was founded in 1899 and rebranded as Kmart in the 1960s. And it grew to like more than 2000 stores over the years. And it really became one of those like iconic American retail chains. But it's really struggled in recent years to keep up with Target and Amazon. 
and went through chapter 11 bankruptcy a few times. And now the nation is just peppered with these empty storefronts. A lot of people say that Kmart is kind of a, a cautionary tale in everything that can go wrong in retail, avarice and greed, and trying to consolidate these ailing retail companies. But the silver lining here is that nationwide, a lot of vacant Kmarts have been replaced by other big box stores. Some of them have turned into fitness centers, storage facilities, churches. New life is popping up in in these empty facades. Uh, I think, Juliet, there's one near you in L.A. that became something unexpected, right? Yes, this is my favorite Kmart conversion. There was a Kmart kind of near me across the street from this big open air mall in a strip mall with like a Little Caesars. And one day it just uh, transformed magically into a Britney Spears immersive experience called The Zone. (laughs) Wow. Apparently you could go there and live inside of her music videos and learn all about Britney. Unfortunately, it has remained closed since it shut down during the pandemic. Wow. So physical store replaced by interactive experience, I see. Yeah, you can put your physical body in the hallway where (laughs) she baby one more time with the lockers on each side. I'm pretty sure. I think I saw pictures of people doing that. Was Kmart a thing in Canada, Steph? You know, I was just Googling this because I was like, I don't think I've ever been to a Kmart, (laughs) but I'd love to ask you guys because when you think of the stores that you go to, most of them have some sort of differentiator. Like Costco is cheaper. Cost is literally in the name. Some other stores are more high quality. What was Kmart's thing? Was it just like a medley of random products? Did it have any sort of differentiator? Um, I always thought of it as shitty Target. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was like a mix between like Walmart and Target. It was cheap, but like it didn't have like as much stuff as Walmart. They were probably the Sears of America. Sears failed in Canada. I don't think we ever got Kmart. But Target also failed in Canada. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned Sears because a few years after Kmart filed for bankruptcy in 2002, this hedge fund executive named Edward Lampert tried to actually combine Sears and Kmart into one giant retailer. So he took these two ailing retailers and tried to combine them. And he had this whole pledge to like return them to their former glory. But, you know, the recession came along and Then Amazon came up and those goals were quickly derailed. I want to say that the only time I've been to Kmart as an adult was when I had a friend who really wanted a Star Wars action figure that apparently I think only Kmart sold and he could not find it in the Midwest where I'm from. So I went there (laughs) to find the Star Wars action figure for him. And that's probably the last time I've been there in like 15 years. Wow. You're a good friend. Can I just say that the Kmart website still has a button in its nav bar that says store locator. (laughs) And when you get to it, there is, I think, all 50 states here. But I guess there's only three left. I wonder which states they're in. Yeah, Kmart. I don't know. I just when I was a kid, I remember there being like Montgomery Ward. What happened to those stores? They're gone, right? I guess they're all empty now. Yeah. Oh, blue light special. Kmart had a blue light special. Yeah. What was the blue light special? What does that even mean? I guess it was just like a, an alert that uh, deals were happening. That sounds fun. Special. I feel like some companies should adopt that. The blue light special debuted in 1965 as a flashing blue siren in the center of the Kmart store that would go off to direct shoppers to a deal. Wow. What would be funny is the metaverse equivalent of that. Like, Every Oculus gets a notification (laughs) being like, in this digital space, there is a sale for this new hot dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning into the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor is Robert Hartwig, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. 
If you liked what you heard today, we've got a lot more tech and business coverage over at thehustle.co. We'll catch you all tomorrow. Same place, same time.